Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. This is a Smart Passive Income podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 143. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, who is completely jealous of anyone who's been to Europe, Pat Flynn. I just, I, I haven't made my way there yet. And, and it's sad because I really want to go. I know I have a lot of listeners over there, especially in the UK and other parts of Europe. Thank you all for listening. No matter where you are in the world, I appreciate your time today. We have a great episode today with Steve Chu from MyWifeQuitHerJob.com. I actually met Steve last year at the Financial Blogger Conference, actually two years ago. Super awesome guy. I connected with him really fast because he's totally you know, involved with his family and stuff like that. I mean, he was able to do stuff online with e-commerce, so he was able to allow his wife to quit her job so she could be a stay-at-home mom. Super cool story. We're going to get into his story about how he built his e-commerce site, and then we're going to get into some really interesting and very actionable pieces of content and strategies you can use to help promote your own course or product. He's done a few tweaks on his email sequences that have yielded massive results. And we're going to talk about that specifically. We're also going to talk a lot about, you know, best practices when it comes to email. We're going to talk about the debate between single versus double opt-in and a lot of things that you guys are probably thinking about when it comes to your autoresponder sequence. So without further ado, we're just going to get right into the interview. This is Steve Chu from MyWifeQuitHerJob.com. What's up, SPI listeners? I'm so happy to welcome Steve Chu from MyWifeQuitHerJob.com. And uh, even though he is a Stanford grad, I'm happy to have him on the show uh, today. Sorry, we've just been going back and forth. I was on his show recently. He did a really awesome and not very funny, I feel, because I am a Cal Bear. You know, I'm from UC Berkeley, and he had this amazing graphic of me. And he photoshopped. He has great Photoshop skills. He photoshopped me in a Stanford jacket with all this, like, go Stanford stuff. It was actually truly an amazing Photoshop uh, piece of piece of work. So I'm going to do something for you. I, I know. I'm scared. I'm terrified. <laughs> when this episode comes out. But, Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, really excited to be here. So my first question for you is centered around your domain name, MyWifeQuitHerJob.com. Can you tell us where that comes from and, and a little bit about your backstory? 
Yeah, absolutely. So a long time ago, uh, you know, when my wife still worked her full-time job. She actually really hated her job. Like every single morning, you know, we would have breakfast and she would kind of leave the house with this really long face and she'd, she'd tell me pretty much, you know, honey, I'm off to the hellhole I call my job. And it was like this for a long time, but, you know, that's the thing that you do, right? You go to college, you come out, you get a job, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But, um, you know, then a couple of years later, you know, she became pregnant with our first child. And we both kind of have this philosophy that at least one parent should stay home with the kids. And you probably have a similar philosophy, right, Pat? Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you know, it, it was like the perfect opportunity for my wife to quit her job. Now, the problem is we live in the Silicon Valley. And uh, I don't know if it's the same price housing as it is down in San Diego, but up here it's pretty expensive. And most people require two incomes in order to get a pretty decent-sized house in a good school district. So we felt that we needed two incomes basically in order to get by without really sacrificing our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so here you know, we knew my wife was going to quit, and we needed to find a way to supplant her lost income. And so what we did is we decided to start an online store – and we ended up selling wedding handkerchiefs online. Wedding um, handkerchiefs. Yeah, that's such an actually, odd uh, niche. Like, how how does one decide to do that? Yeah. So the backstory behind that was when we first got married, we spent a lot of money on photography, as as most couples do for their wedding. And she did. She knew she was going to cry at the altar, and she did not want to be seen in the photos, you know, using ratty, nasty tissue, right? Mm. And so she wanted to buy a handkerchief, and we looked all over the place for handkerchiefs. And in fact, she wanted a handkerchief, you know, with our initials embroidered and the wedding date to make it extra special. But we could not find that anywhere here. The only place we could find was this place in China. And you actually had to buy a whole bunch. And so by whole bunch, I mean we ended up buying like 240 of these handkerchiefs. <laughs> we ended up using maybe three to six of them. I can't remember, you know, for the bridal party and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then we sold the rest on eBay and they sold like hotcakes. And so, you know, when it came time and we were brainstorming ideas for products that we could sell online, we immediately kind of got back in touch with that initial vendor, you know, bought a small initial order and just threw up a website and the rest is history. That's cool. Is that site still up? The site is still up. Uh, It ended up making six figures in its first year, which supplanted my wife's six-figure salary. And it's been growing in the double and triple digits ever since. So we started in 2007. Wedding handkerchiefs. Wedding handkerchiefs, we've since added new products. We started doing linen napkins, linen towels, and everything can be personalized. But our core product is still handkerchiefs. That is so cool. And really quick on this, like how is this is, – is this a passive business? Do you guys just have a whole bunch of handkerchiefs in your house and you ship them out? And like how does this all work and function? Yeah, yeah. So it started out in our house. Gradually, you know, as the business started growing, we ended up uh, renting an office space. And now we have a couple of employees that pack and place orders. And my wife pretty much – She's like a glorified taxi driver. I, I don't know if you guys are like this too, but she's always showing the kids everywhere. Mm-hmm. And because we have these employees running the business, you know, she can kind of focus on the kids' activities while you know, supervising, stopping in from the off- into the office from time to time to make sure things are going okay. That's but it's cool. definitely not a passive business in the sense of like info products, for example. Right. And we'll get into that in a little bit because you're doing some amazing things with info products. But going back to your family, and, and one thing that really helped me connect with you right away – 
despite you being a Stanford grad, uh, <laughs> was was sorry, I'm, that that'll be the last time I promise. Uh, go Bears! But the the fact that you are and it's obvious that you are family man. And I know a lot of people out there who listen to the show know that I am completely all about 100%. My why in life is to be with my family and to give them the opportunities that. Uh, I can and and to be with them all the time. And you're the same way. Mm-hmm. What, when you when your wife was pregnant and you were starting this business, like, was there any did, like, and you guys chose wedding handkerchiefs? Like, what was going through your heads? Did you th- know this was going to work? What was the what was going on internally in terms of okay, can this actually work or not? So we actually tested it out for a little bit on eBay. So we knew the demand was there. And so it was just, like we knew they were going to sell. We weren't sure how much we could get. And we were actually only shooting for about 60000 a year. And, you know, when we launched it, you know, when you launch any website, it's, it's really slow in the early going. And the way we kind of jump-started that is we ended up using Google AdWords early on to just drive targeted traffic there. And then, you know, it's just a, a slow, steady process. We started doing a lot of legwork, calling wedding planners, people who could buy our products in bulk and that sort of thing. Uh, we worked on content for SEO. And then, you know, at around the five to six month mark, everything kind of started coming together. And then it kind of snowballed from there. That's so cool. So you put in the work, obviously. A lot of legwork early on. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of people who throw up online businesses initially kind of expect this Google spigot to kind of open up at some point. But, you know, in the beginning, you really got to put in the legwork, cold calling people. We were emailing people trying to get publicity and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's really cool. Was there any time? Sorry, I'm on. I, I love this topic, by the way. We'll move on. But was there any point at which you were like, OK, you know, we, we have a business about wedding handkerchiefs. Like, I'm not very passionate about it. Like, what kept you moving forward? What kept it from being boring? I mean, you're an entrepreneur like I am. It's very easy to just get bored with things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what makes you think wedding handkerchiefs are boring, Pat? No, I'm just kidding. No, yeah, that's, I, that's I, actually I no, a really good question. No, I'm just kidding. I have absolutely no interest in it whatsoever. <laughs> but as you know, when you start selling stuff and the money starts rolling in, the business aspects are actually very interesting. So I learned a ton of stuff. Uh, pay-per-click ads, um, SEO, you name it. You know, All the same stuff, email marketing, all the same stuff that we do every day now for our sites. Uh, it was kind of this vehicle for me to learn all this stuff. And it was like drinking out of the fire hose in the beginning. But it was a great way, and we were getting positive feedback for all of our efforts. So that, that's, that's what so kept cool. me going. Yeah, That's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. And congratulations to to you and your entire family on all of that. That's amazing. Now, you and I have met each other in person at FinCon, and that's absolutely one of my favorite conferences. And you know, Steve is such a nice guy, and he's doing some amazing things with info products now. So... Move us forward a little bit into when you started to get into info products. I'm assuming that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that people around you and people online started to notice what you've been doing with your e-commerce stuff, and they were starting to wonder how they could do the same. Yeah, it was mainly my friends, because I didn't have the blog at the time. And part of the reason I put up the blog was to just kind of document my experiences running the e-commerce store. There weren't that many blogs at the time out there doing that. Mm-hmm. And so just by nature of putting up content on e-commerce and just really giving uh, in the trenches account what was going on, I started gathering followers. And then people started asking me, you know, how, you know, how to put up their own e-commerce store. And I, my blog tends to attract a lot of, you know, families who, you know, they want to start, they want to start having kids and they want to hang out with their kids more often, which is, you know, kind of dear to our hearts. Right. Right. 
And so I put together this blog. People asked, were asking for a course. And at the time, I actually did not want to put out a course or any sort of info product. The blog was just kind of a way to just kind of document everything. But um, it was in 2011, I finally decided just go ahead and launch. Like I didn't really – I still work a full-time job. I don't know if your listeners know that. But I didn't really have any time to put together a formal course. So what I did was I just held a webinar and I just gave a brief overview of what I was going to teach. And I basically launched the class with zero content in it. You know, and so people were signing up with the promise that I put out good stuff. So you essentially pre-launched a course that hadn't been created yet. That's correct. Yes. And tell t- tell us about that. What was that? Where did you get that idea? And did you actually like collect money up front before you even had a course? I did. I ended up. It was a very small launch. It was about thirty-five people at around three hundred bucks, and these are people that were asking me for the course. And so, you know, when they when they bought the course, I basically just promised them that I would put out consistent content kind of indefinitely. And, you know, if they signed up early, they would get lifetime access to anything that I would put out. And so I launched in 2011. Now that it's 2014, I actually have over 190 videos in the course now. And that's just slow and steady progress. Right. So you've continually added more people over time. And so they pay $300 to get in initially. And that is just a one-time fee. Am I right? One-time fee, yeah. And I continually add content to it every single week. Is the pricing the same? Has the pricing structure been the same since then? No, I've raised it multiple times. Right now, it's at uh, six ninety-nine, and it's probably going to go up another 100 bucks by Christmas. And why, why did you do that? Well, you know, it made sense, right? In the beginning, I had no content, and people were taking a chance on me. And then once I started, you know, adding more and more content, uh, it was just a greater value to the people that were joining. Yeah, I think that's really yeah. smart because a lot of people struggle when it comes to raising prices. And, you know, my buddy Chris Ducker and I, we do our one day business breakthrough events. And one of the big themes that comes out of all of our events that we do when we meet in person with these entrepreneurs is everybody totally underprices themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, e- even if they've had to have a business for a while. So I think it's smart to go in knowing that you're going to be charging a little bit less, sort of like what I did with the smart podcast player in my first run at doing doing software, getting a beta group in there, working with those people closely to help build the software, and, or in your case, the course in the way that they want it. They, that they want it. But mm-hmm. then at some point, it gets to that, that product or, or that software that is what people want. And then you can... You definitely have permission to to charge more at that point. You know, here's what's ironic, Pat. You know, once I raised the price a couple hundred bucks from 300, the number of sales actually increased and then the quality of the people that were joining increased as well. And so that's another case for increasing your price point early on. So you not only had more customers as Mm -hmm. a result of raising the price, but the quality of the customers increased as well. Absolutely. I had less flakes, you know, people who just sign up and then ask for a return right away. Mm-hmm. And just the overall caliber and the overall drive of the students, you know, paying the higher prices were a lot better. I could tell instantly. That's really cool. How did you set up the course? So you initially sold, you pre-sold the course, 35 people were interested. What was your next step after that? Like how, how did you have a membership site and how, how did you set it all up for them? I did. Yeah, I, it's just WordPress and then a membership plugin. I used S2 member. Okay. Uh, there's a whole bunch of options out there that you can choose, and they all work uh, equally as well. And, um, you know, I, I was on uh, Ustream, and I had this set up on my computer where I could just record video. Mm-hmm. And I just started doing a live broadcast twice a week. And there was interaction with you as well at the same time? 
Absolutely. Yeah. There's a chat window and I still do this today. You know, once a week I kind of do a live broadcast and then people can ask me questions in real time in the chat box. That's cool. And are those videos recorded and then those become the lessons or are the lessons different than the actual sort of face-to-face? Yeah. So those videos, I usually have some sort of lesson plan for those office hours. Okay. And those go in the repository. And then I also produce videos kind of at home, you know, in my own little office studio thing that I put on there as well. Where do you find the time to do this? You said you have a full-time job. Um, like when do you, when do you work? Yeah. You know, people ask me that question all the time. And me too. you know, my answer <laughs> always is, you know, if you really want to do something, you'll find the time to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So in my schedule, the weekends are always devoted to the kids, right? Um, during the week, I have the luxury of having a very, you know, uh, a pretty straightforward job in terms of hours. So I work nine to five. And, you know, after that, it's just family time. And then usually at night, and, you know, we're doing this podcast right now at around 9 p.m. after the kids have gone to bed. Yeah. And that's actually the time that I, that I use to work on all my stuff. Nice. So you're just like me, yeah. uh, pretty much. So once the kids are down, then you can sort of turn that part of your life off and turn on your, your business stuff. Walk us through a typical day when you start work. What's now that you have your business up? I mean, you have the e-commerce stuff still going, and now my wife could her job.com and some info products to go along with that as well. What is a typical day like for you after the kids are down? What is work uh, like for you at that point? Yeah. So after the kids are down, I actually only spend maybe two hours a night working on my stuff at this point. Uh, during the day, just to be absolutely clear, my wife actually runs the e-commerce store full time. Okay, I pretty cool. much do all the tech stuff and some of the marketing stuff we share duties on. And so usually I devote maybe one night a week to our actual e-commerce store. And then the rest of the nights, you know, two hours a night, I devote to my wife could her job or the course. So are you just creating content and and writing and and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, I actually don't post that often either. So I write one post a week and then I have, I do podcasts also, uh, which is pretty much one podcast episode a week. And then I do one office hour session for my course a week. And so prior to the podcast, just maintaining the blog and that sort of thing really took around five hours. With the podcast, it's more like eight now because of the scheduling and, and that sort of thing. Right. And then, of course, there's answering emails and, and questions. But it's really now that I'm in, st- you know, early on it wasn't like that. But now that it's kind of in steady state, it actually doesn't take that many hours to maintain. When you first started, how long did it take you to get to a point where you felt like there was something here? Well, see, when I first started, I only had one child. So it was much easier. But I was writing, I was probably writing four or five times a week early on for the blog. Mm-hmm. And I had been blogging for two years before I'd launched my course. And once the course launched, I was putting out two videos per week. And so same thing, just at night, except I just diverted more of my time and resources towards what I was working on. And stuff like the e-commerce store suffered a little bit during that period. Right. Okay, awesome. Now, you, before we got on the call, had mentioned to me that you've been doing some amazing things with your My Wife Quit Her Job site that has 3X'd your results. Can you talk about those things that you're doing to help promote and market your stuff that that is getting you those 3X results? I think all of us out there listening would love to get those kind of results. Give us some actionable stuff that we can put into action. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the way I sell my, my course and my info product is I use email marketing. 
right? And so, uh, so just a very quick background about the class. Uh, a lot of people who, when they launch info products, they do like a formal launch, right? They say that the class is going to close at a certain time. They do this really big formal launch leading up to that, and then they sell their product, then they close it down, then they open it up again. Mm-hmm. And so kind of there's this natural scarcity aspect to doing it that way. For my product, it's open all year round. So there's no, you know, people can buy it at any time. And it's priced pretty high. It's priced at $6.99. And so the way I get people to sign up is I have them sign up for my email autoresponder. And that leads them down a sequence, you know, and along the way, I try to get them to actually buy the main product. Awesome. And so I made a lot of changes. So just a very basic high-level structure of my autoresponder sequence. Basically, I was just teaching them how to start an e-commerce store. And it's just like a little mini course. Mm-hmm. And then I would give them a little sell, have a little fact, and then that would be pretty much it. And that's the way I, I had it ever since 2011. But then in May, I started interviewing people in podcasts. And every time I interview someone in the podcast, I actually learn a whole bunch of stuff. And I ended up interviewing this guy. I don't know if you know him, but his name is Dan Fagella. And I basically told him what I was up to. And he kind of took a look at my email autoresponder sequence. And he said, dude, you know, for this price point for your product, you really need to make your autoresponder sequence longer and, you know, kind of hit them up. Don't be afraid to, to sell them more often. Okay. And so what ended up happening was he looked at my autoresponder sequence, which is only nine steps. And he kind of advised that I made that 3x the length that it already was. And so I was like, wow, um, you know, that's, that's kind of eye-opening. You got, he's, his main point was you got to hit him up multiple times for a course. And then you know, another thing happened in May also that kind of spurred me to change my autoresponder sequence. I got this email from a reader of my blog. And this woman said, you know, I have a confession to make. I cheated on you, Steve. Uh, Noah, Noah Kagan. So Noah Kagan, you know, he runs a course as well. We're kind of buddies and competitors at the same time. <laughs> yeah, he's been on the show before. We yeah, he's been on the show Noah, before. So Steve. this woman emailed me and she said, Noah sold me his course day after day with his autoresponder sequence. And he said, she said, you know, I have to say yes. It may look that sending continuous emails may bother some of your followers, but for me, it worked. Their email content was day after day relevant, and it got more and more interested. So when I saw Noah had a course online, it convinced me, and I signed up immediately. Now, this woman was actually on my sequence, but it had ended you know, after nine steps. And here was Noah, the little punk. <laughs> Hopefully, he'll be listening to this. He had this sequence where he was just constantly emailing her with useful content and you know a very small call to action to join his class. So the lesson here is multiple touch points within multiple an email points. sequence. Absolutely. So initially you had people sign up and then you teach them a few things, sort of a, a mini course going through nine days and then a pitch and then followed up with a FAQ or frequently asked questions. And then it mm-hmm. kind of just ended there. It just kind of ended there. And after that, I was sending them blog posts and, and that sort of thing. Okay. So, okay. So they get into the sort of main list and they just might get information about the course, but it's not really set in stone when that might happen. That's correct. Yeah. So basically my sequence went from nine emails to now it's like 28 emails. And I'll talk about the, the types of emails that I include in that sequence as Thank well. You. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, the other thing that I was missing was that I was, so I'm an engineer 
for, for all the people listening. And I tend to, everything that I do at work tends to be logical, right? And so the emails in my initial nine sequence, email sequence was basically focused on the how-to aspect, how to start an e-commerce store, how to launch a website, that sort of thing. What I was missing was I was not really tapping into the customer psyche. And what I kind of learned in May was that, you know, logic doesn't really equate to sales. And if you ever had a if you've ever had an argument with your wife, you'll realize that logic doesn't really lead to anything productive. And so what I, what I kind of picked up was that you know, I, I, want, I needed to emphasize more on some of the psychological aspects of you know, selling something online. And so the next step that I took, you know, I still work a full-time job, and I, I kind of hang out with these sales guys all the time. So you know, I, I went up to one of the sales guys who I'm friends with, and I asked to have lunch with them. And I asked him, you know, what's the secret to selling? And he gave me this tip and he said, you know, when it comes to selling, the product is very important, but even more important is the person selling the product. And so his advice to me was in order to get people to kind of like you online, you have to show off your personality. And this is actually one thing that you do really well, Pat, that I've kind of picked up over the years. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, you know, just an example of, of your stuff, you know, your podcast, that little intro where you give a little tidbit of your personality, that little thing is actually pretty effective whether you whether you realize it or not. Thank you for saying that. Man, so many people were like, don't do that. That's so dumb. Nobody cares about your facts. And uh, it seems to be working. Every time I go to a conference now, people pull out one of those things that I've mentioned and you know, they talk about my fantasy football team or the fact that, you know, I'm Sagittarius or I'm half Filipino or like all this stuff and all those little things make these connections with people. Uh, so I really appreciate you saying that and um, confirming that for me. Yeah. And so what I didn't realize was that people were buying the product for me and not necessarily for just the product. And so one thing that I did was I started doing a lot more storytelling about my backstory. So I started including a video in that initial sequence that kind of introduced myself and just told my story, pretty much the same one or similar one that I just gave in the beginning of this podcast. Mm -hmm. I also included a link to a pod to my very first episode of my podcast, which kind of told my story in a different form and my philosophies on family and, you know, starting an online business. I like that. And you get your voice in there and people can really connect with that. Exactly. And you know, they're a captive audience for up to 40 minutes with a podcast, which is great. Right. Mm -hmm. And I started talking and giving a lot more interesting facts about myself. You know, we, we kind of alluded to how you do that in the podcast, but I actually had a post that I started linking into in the autoresponder sequence that gave a bunch of, you know, kind of funky facts about myself that most people probably don't know about. You know, that's a great idea. And I see that on blog posts all the time. Perhaps it's somebody's birthday or they just might say, hey, 20 things you might not have known about me. Uh -huh. And uh, for some reason, I haven't seen many of those lately, but those used to be really popular. And those used to be the most commented posts because people can relate to it or that, you know, they begin to share some of their own, you know, facts about themselves as well. So I think that's really smart and something that I actually don't do in my own autoresponder sequence. So I really appreciate that tip. And I think, you know, any way that you can make connections with people uh, is going to is going to help you down the road when you're starting to make sales and, and pitch things. So start, you added storytelling, you added links to your podcast, people hear your voice and resonate with your story and your why, some uh -huh. interesting facts about you. Were there any other uh, things besides the that that you added? You know, the, was it just 
you know, 19 more emails all about those three things? Or were there any other strategic types of emails in there to help with that eventual pitch? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the idea with giving out the random facts, first of all, is just to try to get people on your bus. You know, who knows when someone might resonate with one particular fact that you're kind of revealing about yourself. So so that's the rationale besides that. So yeah. in terms of the other parts of the sequence, uh, the other thing I started doing also was starting a conversation with the people who are signing up. So what I started doing in that initial autoresponder email, like the very first one, was that I have people hit reply and basically tell me their story. And that does two things. So by replying to my very first email, it pretty much guarantees that all future emails will reach their inbox and not their spam folder. Okay. So the second thing is, you know, you're trying to create a conversation with your reader. So a lot of times people will tell me their full story and I try to respond to every single email that I get. Uh, It's not always possible, but I try to do it because they're pouring their heart out and it, it just makes sense that that I need to respond, right? Just yeah, of course. I, I owe it to them to respond, of course. And, and and when you do that, it helps you stand out from all the other people who aren't responding or starting a conversation. And I think that's really smart, especially if you're just starting out. You should absolutely be doing that to as many subscribers as you can. I feel like my if I were to start doing that now from that first email, it would just be way too much. So I'm looking for new ways to make connections uh, at this point in in stage in my business career. Uh, but if you're just starting out or maybe even if you have, you know, up to 20 subscribers a day, even 20, maybe even 50 if you, if you have time, um, truly responding and, and starting those conversations is really smart. I know Derek Halpern does the same thing on his, where right. he, he asks, what are you struggling with? And not only is he getting people to reply, getting people to favor his emails in, in their folders, but also, uh, you know, starting the conversation, but, but also getting exactly what, you know, his audience needs and needs help with. And those are going to help with courses, podcast episodes, blog posts, and all types of things. So I think that's, that's really smart. Um, what, what is a pitch like in this email sequence? So can you go over what kind, are you just saying, Hey, buy my course and link to your sales page or how, how are you doing? No, that? yeah. So I was going to get to the other guts. I, I, I apologize. I didn't oh, answer no, the rest no, of your question, no, but no um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that I increased the sequence from nine to about in, in the twenties of emails. Right. So the next thing I did before I even wrote that sequence of emails was I basically sent out an email to my list and basically asked them why they weren't buying the class. Just um, straight up. Yeah. Pretty much straight up kind of like a boneheaded question, right? You know, but people were responding. And so I sent out this survey, basically asked them what's preventing you from buying the course today and what's stopping you from starting your online store right now. And I got a whole bunch of responses. And that, based on those responses, I kind of formulated the remaining emails in the sequence. Okay, and so first response that I got was, well, I'm not sure if your course works. Mm. Valid question, right? Does it work? Are there students in your class that you know have been successful taking your course? And here's the funny thing, Pat. So I have testimonials for the class sprinkled all over the sales page. I occasionally mention them on my blog, but people don't pick that up. It's almost like you have to kind of emphasize the testimonials that you have uh, rather than just assuming people are going to see them. So what I did was I started... Uh, interviewing some of my successful students. So I had a couple of them as guests on my podcast, and then I added those to the autoresponder sequence. 
Smart. Um, I started creating student stories and allowing them to write posts on my blog, like guest posts on the blog. And that was a win-win situation. They got a backlink. I got a testimonial. And it was just kind of a win-win. And I kind of chose students in different demographics for this autoresponder sequence. So I chose a single mother who was not that tech savvy and, you know, basically wanted to earn extra money with her e-commerce store and told her story. I had another person that I had on the show that was just a young professional, um, you know, a single guy working who just wants to perhaps someday quit their job. And then I also had uh, another kind of single guy who was not really tech savvy at all, but really liked kind of like the learning process. And so now I incorporated all these guest posts and interviews into my autoresponder sequence. I, I like that because what happens is over the course of these emails, maybe they get an email that features a story of a single mom. And that email gets to a guy who's just like, you know what, that's, that's not really me. That's not relevant. But they stick around in that email responder and then eventually get that email about the single guy who that person can totally relate to. And then that sort of triggers that, hey, I can probably do this too. And uh-huh. so you sort of cover all the bases there. And so that might be, that, I think that's a really smart idea to not only just have success stories, but make sure you have all different kinds of success stories under your brand and share and feature those things. And, and I really like what you said about the fact that you've got to emphasize the testimonials or the case studies. And I think it's really smart. You're getting your audience involved too. Students writing their own stories and featuring students on, on interviews. I know for me, most of my most uh, popular episodes of the podcast are when I have students come on and talk about how, you know, they've been able to build a business from, from scratch. I, th- I feel like, and people have said they, they can relate to those more than when I have, you know, the Tim Ferriss on and the Gary Vaynerchuks. They, they, they feel that they can actually do it when there are regular people on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a huge point. Um, the more, uh, when they feel like it's just a regular person that you're talking to, they kind of become more emboldened to actually giving something to try. Nice. So, so the next reason that people weren't signing up was something that I didn't really consider at all. And, you know, we live in a global world now. And so people were asking whether my course applied worldwide and mm. which is something I wasn't thinking about at all when I first started selling the course. Cause I assumed everyone was kind of in the U S but it turns out I have a lot of students from all across the world and people were asking me, you know, does it apply? And so what I did for that was, I kind of sent out an email to my course list for people who weren't in the U.S. And I had this one person write a blog post. So one of the biggest fears on e-commerce is, you know, if you live in a country where e-commerce isn't prevalent, can you still make money if you live in a very small market? Okay. And so what I did was I interviewed this student who actually sells goods into the United States from a foreign country. And the way she does it is she actually uses a fulfillment house in the U.S. So that kind of dispelled two fears that people might have. You know, one, is the market large enough? And then two, can you actually run an online store from a different country? Super smart. I love that. Well, you've sold some info products in the past, Pat. Um, People probably have asked you, you know, why should I buy your product when there's all this information out there online for free, right? Like I could listen to your podcast, Halpern's podcast, I could read Noah Kagan's blog and still get the same amount of information to start an online store, right? Right. Even the same with Green Exam Academy. All that information I sold in that ebook was exactly the same on the website with Food Trucker and its most recent book, How to Start a Food Truck, The Definitive Guide. That's all pulled from blog posts and things like that. I mean, this happens all the time and we always get this question. 
Yeah, and so so to combat that sort of point, what I did was I came up with two different stories in my personal life that kind of reflected why you would need some sort of guidance. So the first one is probably one that you can appreciate, Pat. Uh, you know, when I first had my first child, I went out and I read pretty much every single baby book out there. I, I don't know if you did the same thing. No, no I did. <laughs> but uh, so I, I read all these books and I got really cocky, right? So, you know, I, I was really cocky. I knew all the different steps and how to soothe the baby. And so when our first child came out and she was pretty much unconsolable, you know, my wife was trying to comfort her and everything. At first I was really cocky and I was like, okay, when you're done trying to console my child, why don't you hand her over to me and let's get some sleep. <laughs> and so she handed the baby to me and then I used all the different techniques. So just to give you an idea, uh, and I don't know if you learned this too, Pat, but I actually went as far as learning baby language. Did, did you ever take the Dunstan baby language class? I didn't. Go that far, no. <laughs> or the happiest baby on the block. I've read that one, yeah. Yeah, so I basically tried all these techniques and nothing worked. I tried to read the baby's language and that did not work. And ultimately what happened was I ended up going to Babies R Us and I ended up buying any, you know, all the different types of baby pacification technology out there. So I came home with all these boxes. But moral <laughs> of the story here is I read all these books and I read all these websites on how to do parenting, but... I still, it was different. Every child's different. And that's the same way with your business. Yeah. That was the sequence I have for, for females, mainly targeting females. I also had a different one for guys that I put in the sequence as well. And I basically told the story of my quest for six-pack abs. Now, I know in the past, Pat, that you had done P90X and you were trying to get in really good shape as well, right? Yes. But for me, I was just kind of looking online and I thought the secret to getting six-pack abs was doing sit-ups. Mm. Right. And even after doing sit-ups, I was actually getting fatter because I was building muscle underneath all my fat and, and that sort of thing. I don't want to get into that. But but so <laughs> what ended up happening was I was doing everything all wrong. Despite what I read online, I was drinking all the protein shakes and that sort of thing. And it was only after talking to certain people who had done it before that I actually finally managed to achieve that goal. So that was the other sequence I have for guys. And it's kind of funny. I get responses only from females for the baby one, and I get responses from the guys for the six-pack one. It's just the way it is. Right, so you don't feel like putting one of those stories out there alienates the other. I don't think so. You know, if they don't want to read it, they don't want to read it. But, you know, at the end of these emails, I have a small call to action that says, you know, if you want to learn the right way, and if you want to have someone to ask questions to during the entire process, mm -hmm. consider joining my class. Does every email have a pitch at the end of it? Not every email. And a lot of times it's just subtle. Like sometimes I put it in like the little PS, like PS, you know, if you want to take a chance on yourself, that sort of thing, right. join the class. Yeah. Okay. So it's subtle. It's subtle. It's subtle. It's not a huge pitch and there's not like a PS after, oh, by the way, you know, last chance to get this and... I don't do that, actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, th there's a few people out there. I don't know if you have any others to add, but there's a few people out there who do this really well uh, that I follow. Uh, Ramit Seti mm -hmm. from I Will Teach You To Be Rich. He pitches really, really well. Um, it's, it's amazing how, how he does it. And you already mentioned Noah Kagan as well. Yeah, it's funny. I was trying to emulate, you know, I've been trying to emulate some of these people that you've mentioned like Ramit, but we all have different writing styles, right? So it's just a matter of finding the writing style that just kind of works for you. Right. So, I mean, I, I can't be like a, a crazy Indian guy on email, like <laughs> as well as Ramit can. So, and so these links that are in the bottom of the emails, they go to your sales page. Did you do anything to help increase and get three X results on the sales page or what, what else? 
has happened to help increase these results or is it just simply the autoresponder? Well, it's mainly the autoresponder, but I've also doubled my rate of email signups, which helped as well. And I can okay. talk about that a little bit. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when, when I first started blogging, I spent a lot of time kind of optimizing my AdSense blocks. Yes. I don't know if you've done that before. <laughs> and, have. you know, a lot of things that you do, the primary technique is to kind of make the block kind of blend in with the content. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so for the longest time, the email signup forms on my blog I would have content and then I would have like a little Facebook signup thing and then I would have my email signup form encased in kind of this border to make it stand out more. Mm-hmm. And then one day, um, Brandon of Bigger Pockets, he Love sends Brandon. me an email and he says, Hey, you know, uh, we've been split testing some of this stuff on my site. Uh, maybe you should try to blend in your email form in your content and just see what happens. And I was like, you know, that's, that's ingenious. It's stupid. You know, all this time I've been trying to blend my AdSense ads in to get clicks. You know, why wouldn't I blend in my email form as well? Okay. And so what I did was I made the email form look just like the content at the end. And that instantly doubled my email signups wow. for that block. Yeah. Instantly. Instantly. Overnight. And we can see examples of this on your site right now. Yes. Uh, and, and if, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So it does blend in. You know, this is opposite of what a lot of people are doing, including myself, actually. Um, so this will be a really interesting thing to test. I think that's the biggest thing, and, and kudos to Brandon for telling you that, you know, the fact that he split tested and this works. And what what works for one person might not work for another, but, you know, this seems a little counterintuitive, but a lot of times it's the counterintuitive things that work. And for me, what's working is, is the two-step opt-in process, which I've talked about plenty of times with Clay uh-huh. Collins here on the show from Lead Pages. And uh, so split tests, you have to be split testing for sure. Yeah, and that whole two-step process seems counterintuitive to me as well, but it's apparently working for a lot of people. Yeah, this is sweet. And so you have a giveaway, I see, that um, gets people to opt in. Uh, uh-huh. This is a created niche online store in five easy steps. How many pages is this giveaway? Just I'm curious. How many pages? What do yeah, you mean? Is, is it a PDF file or? Oh, no, no, no. This is my email autoresponder sequence that we've been talking about. Oh, okay. So it actually yeah. is the email autoresponder sequence. That's correct, yes. So is uh, five easy steps, is that five separate emails? It is, yes. And, it's, then, and then they get the, what is it, 24 of the testimonials, case studies, yeah. and stories and stuff. So the content is about nine steps, even though it says five, it's, it's actually nine because okay. I have intro and, and some other stuff, resources and stuff on there. And then the rest of it is just kind of dealing with more of the psychological aspects of starting an online business and trying to get the person in the mindset of wanting to start their own business. Right. It's really important to think about that as well. No matter what niche you're in, before people can get your course, what do they need mentally to be ready to get that course? This goes along with what Derek Halford said in a previous episode of the podcast in the bonus sandwich uh-huh. and uh, talking about, well, what's that bottom bread that people would need before they can, you know, devour that, that meat. If that doesn't make sense, <laughs> don't worry. That's just, that sounds, anyway, I'll it's, link to that episode and uh, you, you'll understand what the bonus sandwich means after that. <laughs> so on those same lines, you know, the, the best performing AdSense blocks are the ones above the content, right? Mm-hmm. So it kind of made sense to have a signup form above the content as well. You know, guys like Derek Halpern have this gigantic box above their content. I did not want to do that with my site per se. So what I did was I just included a small link in the byline 
okay. at the top of the article. And that actually converts really well. I was actually quite shocked that people noticed that small of a link. Yeah, I see that there. I, I was curious. So it says, you know, I'm, I'm on your six pack. Uh, what a six pack taught me about starting a successful online business, uh, which is apparently one of your most popular posts. And it's the pictures are amazing, actually. Uh, <laughs> and then underneath that it has your name, Steve C. And then a clickable link right next to that in very small text, same size as the buy is the, the author name it says click here to learn how to start your own online store. I've never seen anybody put a call to action there right at the top underneath the title. But that actually, that actually, it, it works well. And if you ha- if you don't have one, you should give it a try. Um, if you don't want to do that whole feature box above your content. Wow, that's really cool. Now we're approaching the forty five minute mark, and I don't want to take too much of your time. You've already given us a ton of complete. Pat, the major thing has yet to come. You have five extra minutes. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the major thing that made a big difference was going to single opt in. This is a controversial topic, but what I did was I did an experiment and I went to single opt in. And just kind of did a test of engagement. And so I have some stats here. Let's see if I can find them. So when you say single opt-in, this is not sending a confirmation email to that people is correct. after they subscribe. Which, for those of you who don't know, who aren't up on the email yet, um, typically, and the best practices, and this is what a lot of email service providers recommend, is when somebody subscribes, they get an auto, uh, an email automatically sent to them that says, hey, before you can get all this content, you know, we just want to make sure you really want this, you know, Please, please click here to confirm. And then when they click that button in that email, which is an extra step, uh, but it does confirm that they're human, that it's a, that it's the right email address, and you know theoretically that, that they would be a better subscriber. Yeah, so I found out just by looking at my stats, I was losing 50% of my people who weren't double opting in. So half the people that got that initial email that said click here to subscribe or click here to confirm that you want to subscribe weren't uh-huh. clicking. That's correct. Yeah. And when they don't do that, they don't get any of the other. They emails. don't get anything. And so, you know, naturally when you go to single opt-in, your, your engagement is going to be a little bit less. So I just did some testing on that as well. And so with double opt-in, 75% of the people were opening my first email. But with single opt-in, it was on the order of 55%. Wow. And okay. so just by taking every everything into account, by going to single opt-in, I was improving my effective email list growth by, you know, a little over 50%. So it was worth it. It was worth it. And I just want to dispel some of the misconceptions because I actually talked with some of the AWeber reps about going to single opt-in because I was worried about spam and a lot of people were worried about spam. Right. Turns out AWeber has a lot of spam measures in place. So for example, someone just can't go to your form and start entering in a whole bunch of different email addresses. They won't let the same IP address make repeated submissions. And in the case that it detects that, it actually automatically switches to double opt-in in case of any sort of suspicious activity. Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. And, you know, people are also worried about the rate of complaints. And my rate of complaints for my emails have not increased at all from going to single opt-in. Very intriguing. Yeah. So the only downside is that you have to clean your list more often because you're probably going to have more inactives. And so I just make it part of my routine that every four months or so I, I go in and just kind of prune out the inactives, which is probably something that you should be doing anyways. And how do you do that? Can you get be more specific about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I just go through and I say, people who haven't opened my emails in the last six months who had joined be- before a certain date, basically. I okay. use six months, yeah. And then you just delete them I just completely. delete them, yeah. I mean, you might as well. They're not opening emails. They're just taking up space and or you know making you pay more money for, for that list. Yeah, you know, a lot of times you know, in the past, the accuracy of these open rates and click rates 
uh, were a lot worse before Google implemented their changes, which pretty much opens images in their emails now, right? That, that's how Aweber tracks opens. It, it's with a little pixel, a little picture, right? Mm-hmm. And so now I feel like the open rates and that sort of thing are a lot more accurate. And what I usually do is before I'm about to prune, I have this list of people who haven't opened in a while. I send them an email and I say, hey, you know, I noticed you've been inactive. Why don't you, if you're still interested in being on this list, click on this link and we won't take you off. Otherwise, you're going to be taken off immediately. Yeah, that's awesome. So. That's a great tip. And that is a biggie for sure. I, I, I would love to hear whatever all of you out there listening think about this. This is a huge debate. You know, it's had, it has been for a while. Single opt-in versus double opt-in. Is it worth it? I'd love to hear your thoughts and just, you know, your thoughts about everything that Steve has talked about today. We've gotten a lot of actionable content here. I think this is going to be a definitely a popular episode, I feel. And, um, you know, one that even if somebody were to take one tip away, I mean, you've gave, you've given a lot of tips, but even if somebody were to take action on one of them, it could drastically make a difference for their business. So Steve, thank you so much for your time. And where can people go to find out more information about you? Yeah, you can just go to mywifequitterjob.com. If you're interested in e-commerce, you can check out my course at profitableonlinestore.com. And if you are getting married, you <laughs> yes. know you're going to cry at the so altar. Good. <laughs> Where were you when I got married? <laughs> I needed that myself. Head over to bumblebeelinens.com and we'll hook you up. Bumblebeelinens.com? That's correct. Beautiful. Steve, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate you and uh, th- thanks so much. Yeah, thanks a lot, Pat. It was, it was a pleasure. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve Chu. Again, from mywifequitherjob.com. You can see everything he has going on there. Get involved with this course as well. He also talked about uh, Bumblebee Linens, which, I mean, just super cool that he was able to build such a successful business in such what seems like a random niche. Uh, and I wasn't kidding when I said I needed those things when I got married because I, I did cry a little bit. Uh, but anyway, thank you for listening to the show. All the show notes are available at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 143. Uh, again, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 143. All the links, resources, everything Steve mentioned will be there for easy clicking. Hey, really quick, I want to let you know about a page on the website that might be really helpful for you. A lot of you are already taking action on what you've heard on the podcast, which is fantastic. But a lot of you have also messaged me asking for more deeper information, more fine-tuned and highly targeted information for specific problems and pains that you might be having. So what I did was I actually put together a few courses. There's more courses actually coming down the road, uh, but you could check out all the courses and things that are available to you there at smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. My team and I have worked really hard to put together the best information that'll help you solve specific problems that you might be having in your business. So if you're just starting out and you need help and you need accountability, handholding, you want a community behind this as well, Check it out, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. You can see what's available there. All different kinds of courses to help you through a number of different things you might be working on. And like I said, there are more courses coming down the road too. So one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. Thank you again so much for listening in. It's a brand new year. Hope you're as motivated as I am. I have my whole calendar for the whole year planned out and I hope you do too because we're gonna make stuff happen this year. I know we all have amazing things planned. We always have amazing things planned at this time of year. But you know what? Not everybody eventually gets around to them. So make sure they happen. And you know what? Do everything one thing at a time. So coming out of this episode, what's that next thing you're going to do? You know, head on over to the blog, get the show notes, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 143. But coming out of this, how are you going to use this to motivate you? And what is it that you're going to do and finish and follow through with 
next. That's what I want you to do. Thank you guys so much. I'll see you in the next episode of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Until then, keep at it. It's the beginning of the year. Let's keep moving strong. Don't let me down. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.